following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. John Newton was a composer of hymns. He was a preacher of God's Word, and he had experienced the grace of God in his life. He, he knew how amazing it, it really was. As, as a matter of fact, as some of you know, one of his hymns speaks about grace. Maybe you've heard of it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The deal is, John Newton wasn't always a hymn writer, and he was not always a preacher. At the age of 25, he left his home in England and went on down to Africa and got involved in a pretty lucrative business. It was known as the slave trade. But God got a hold of his heart. It took a storm out at sea and almost losing his life where he cried out to God and God met him and saved him and let him know that God had a different plan for him. And so he knew just exactly how amazing God's grace truly was. At the end, toward the end of his life, some of his friends began to talk to him and say, Hey, John, you need, to, you need to quit preaching because his health was failing and his memory was going bad. Don't get any ideas, okay? <laughs> his response to his friends was just classic. He says, Two things I do still remember. One, I am a great sinner. Secondly, Jesus is a great Savior. And then he added, what else do I need to remember? (laughs) I like that. Newton had discovered what the Apostle Paul had also discovered, and he writes about it in his letter to the Ephesians. So this morning we're starting a whole new study in the book of Ephesians. God has a plan, as Paul will let us know, that he is faithful to see it through. How many are thankful for that? I am. And that nothing is by chance, and his will will be done. You can count on it. Now, there are people in the world that actually believe that we happened here by chance, That somehow a combination of molecules accidentally came together and boom, life happened. Life without a plan. Life without a purpose. That's kind of like taking all of the parts of a watch, spreading them out on a table and stepping back and saying, okay, come together and and work. It's just not going to happen, right? And there are people also out there who are attending church who kind of approach God in a, in a way where they find themselves relating to him somewhat in a timid and unsure kind of way, tempted to turn away and yet afraid of being abandoned and not having a clue of what it really means to be a part of the family of God. And so for those who need some understanding and for those who could use a fresh reminder... Hopefully, you've already opened your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Let's turn to chapter 1 
of that book. You see, this is a really great book. Well, I say that every time we start a new book, don't we? They're all good and they're all great. <laughs> this is one of those great books. It, it can change your life. In Ephesians, you, we find he lets us know what your identity is all about. You will discover who you are and who you are meant to be and what you are meant to do. It's spelled out for us in this Ephesian letter. And it also lets us know what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. So let's dive in and discover the treasure that is found within this Ephesian letter. First of all, we're going to see that God has a plan that happens to include you. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I don't want that to fly right on, right on over your head. You see, the God who is the creator of all things infinite, almighty God has a plan. It's a good plan, and that good plan happens to include little old you. How about that? Little old me. Let's look at the first couple of verses. This is his, his opening, his greeting to the people in Ephesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul realized that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. He is finding out, he has found out, that it had nothing to do with what he was doing prior to his Damascus Road experience, right? What was he doing prior? He's running around chasing down Christians, wasn't he? Getting them locked up. It can seem that they were taken care of. That was not God's plan for his life. He thought it was. Turns out that was his plan, not God's plan. We're not merely an accidental combination, accidental combination of molecules adrift on the sea of life, like I mentioned a moment ago. God does indeed have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. Where God wants you, what God wants you to be is what Paul calls here in these first couple of verses, the will of God. Now, there's a term that gets thrown around a lot within Christian circles. Would you agree? Yeah. Have you ever just stopped and asked yourself, well, what is the will of God? Probably, right? And oftentimes, every time you hear that term, you're wondering, well, what is God's will for my life? It's amazing how many folks don't know have no clue it would appear. So what is the will of God? Well, one thing it's not, it's not your plan, it's not your will. I'll just simply say this at this point, the will of God is the very best thing that could ever, ever happen to your life. Agreed? Sounds like it. The very best thing that could ever happen to your life. You want to know why? Because his plan for you is a whole lot better than what you could ever come up for yourself. Because it's a good perfect plan. And Paul understood this. And he was one who knew his calling. He was called by the will of God to reflect the master's master plan to be an apostle. And even from his earliest days, he recognizes, he comes to find out, he discovers that this has been God's plan all along. Even from his earliest days, he had been being prepared for what God's plan was for his life. The same is true 
for every single one of us. God wants to place each one of us in the spot for which he has prepared us from the beginning. His will fits perfectly with the personality and the experiences, the gifts and talents he has put into your life. As we can see, Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus. That's what he says here, God's holy people. The word holy simply means, and we'll say this again in a few moments, the set-apart ones. Paul is fortifying here his conviction with regards to the calling and undeniable plan of God. It was in place for you, he's letting us know, before there ever was a you. (laughs) It speaks of your new position in life with God. It's not because of what you do, but because of what he has done. Amen? It speaks of who you are because of who he is in you. Someone once said, I like this. I, told, I was joking with Kenny last night in church last night. It was probably some old preacher from Texas that said this. <laughs> God voted for my salvation. The devil voted for my damnation. I voted with God and got the majority. (laughs) I came across something else that I thought was pretty interesting. It said, scientists know that ducks tend to imprint soon after birth. To imprint means that they attach themselves to the first thing they see after they hatch, thinking they are that thing. Well, that would make sense, right? Since typically... Right after they hatch, they're going to see their, their mama duck, right? And Occasionally, though, with this thing that I was reading, this backfires, I guess. For example, a duckling was hatched under the watchful eye of a very motherly collie dog. The baby duck took one look at the collie <laughs> and quacked, Mama! <laughs> and decided that the dog was its mother. Interesting, huh? It followed the collie around, ran to it for protection, slept with it at night, and when a car pulled into the driveway, along with the dog, the duck would run out from under the front porch, quacking while the dog barked and even would peck at the tires. Some things could not be changed, however. The duck still quacked. It still enjoyed water, and it still flapped its wings. (laughs) In other words, sometimes it acted like a duck, and sometimes it acted like a dog. Sometimes Christians experience a similar confusion in identity. We have been born and grown up into a fallen world. So we have learned the ways of this world. We have become like it. And when we became Christians, we were placed in Christ, and we we were to die to this world as we are being born again so that spiritually we are no longer what we once were. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Too often, however, we don't see ourselves correctly. We act like the thing we think we are, 
rather than what we really are, that which God says and sees who we are (laughs) as those who are in Christ. So Paul tells the Ephesians who they have become, who they are in Christ, and then prays that they might have the spiritual understanding to grasp who they have become. If you've ever felt unsure about your role in the body of Christ, if you've ever felt unsure about your usefulness, or maybe even your acceptableness to God, Paul reminds us in these verses that your identity is in Christ. And you have been on his mind and a part of his plan from the very beginning. How awesome is that? From the very beginning. And that enables us then to stand with and for Jesus. Reflecting who he is, reflecting his true character, his love and his grace and his mercy, fulfilling our role and usefulness in the body of Christ. We can know this is true because of what we find right here in verse 3, which begins the longest sentence in the Bible. I just thought this was interesting. It just throw it out to you. In fact, I've learned that it is even considered the longest sentence in all of ancient Greek literature. It starts at verse 3 and goes all the way in the original text, all the way to verse 14. <laughs> now that is a humongous verse, wouldn't you say? That's a, that's a long verse. These verses outline for us spiritual blessings that are ours that enhance who Christ is in our lives based upon God's plan for our lives. So what we're going to see here is that there are spiritual blessings that come to us from the Father and from the Son and from the Spirit. Here at verse 3, look at this with me. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul is telling us there are spiritual blessings in the Father. That's what he's saying. And what Paul is also saying to the Ephesians, he's also saying to us, right? God is to be praised. He is to be spoken of well or blessed even because he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Withheld nothing, folks. However, I think we all would agree on this. We don't always feel spiritually blessed, do we? (laughs) And that can sometimes lead us down to this thought that says, well, where was I? Did I miss out when the blessings were handed out? To make sure we do not misunderstand what he means by every spiritual blessing, Paul spells them out for us in three separate categories. I just referred to them. I want to reemphasize them here again. Blessings from the Father's work in the past. Blessings from the Son's work in the present. And blessings from the Holy Spirit's work 
for the future. Now let's look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What is the Father's intention? For us to reflect him. That's his intention. And so if we are to reflect God, what is it that he intends for us to reflect? Paul answers the question. We are to be holy and blameless. Hang with me now, because already some of you just checked out. <laughs> Holy means to be set apart, as I said a little while ago. It carries the idea of reflecting or representing God's moral purity. The word blameless means to be free from sin, dirt, filth, to be above reproach and without blemish, to be without fault. Or defilement. I know what you're thinking. That pretty much leaves me out. <laughs> right? But church, please understand, that is what's so amazing and so beautiful about what Paul is giving us here. And about what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. On our own, we know that we fall way, way short of holy and blameless, don't we? We come very, very short. But in Christ, this is where the good news is. And even while we still sin and while we still fail and while we still mess up and trip and fall, when Jesus looks at us, he sees us through his son and he sees holy and he sees blameless. That is something to be excited about to rejoice about. It's what's so amazing about what He has done for us. What's needed now, I think, in these ever-changing times where Christianity seems increasingly strange and even subversive in our culture today is a church who knows their identity and knows that there are unlimited resources available to stand and reflect the glory and wonder and the love of our King. We dare not look more and more like this world, but let us rise up and live like those who are set apart, those who will live out what they say they believe. Church, can there be anything more displeasing to God than religiously minded people who exhibit little correlation between their profession of faith and their practice of it? Is there any greater stumbling block for the lost? In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 2, we're told there that we, we are to be holy. 
It's this verse right here that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that makes that possible. (laughs) Where we are told that we've been chosen to be a holy people for him. God knew he would have to choose them himself. You want to know why? Because Romans chapter 3, verse 11 lets us know that there's nobody, not one, who seeks God on their own. So God has to prompt that. And he's the one that comes seeking us. Now, at this point, the attentive student of the Bible begins to wonder and ask questions, kind of like, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Joshua tell us in Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom you will serve? Yeah, he did say that. Yes, but I thought Paul says God chose us. He does. (laughs) How can God choose us but still give us the free will to choose him? How does that even work? Well, it's as if when a person decides to choose the Lord to follow him, they walk through a door over which is written the words, Whosoever will, let them come. Revelation 22, 17. Yet the moment they walk through the door, they look back and see these words. Yet you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. Jesus said that in John 15, 16. God chose us. When? Paul tells us before the creation of the world. Because God sits outside of time. He knows all things, past, present, and future. Therefore, he chooses those that he knows who it will be in their heart to choose him. Now, someone asked me the other day, can you even begin to fathom that? This whole thing of God sitting outside of time? No, I can't. Not in my human ability. But here's what I can do. I can trust the one who can and does sit outside of time, who sees past, present, and future, and whom holds my life, who holds my tomorrow, and I can trust him. How about you? Here's the other thing about this whole deal on predestination, because it can confuse so many people. Here's what I do know for sure. God has never seen anywhere at any time in the Bible predestining someone to the eternal fires of hell. You won't find it. Not once. He only predestines people to go to heaven. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. And then he says, I will never blot out their name from the book of life. But I will acknowledge their name before my Father and his angels. D.L. Moody once said, I'm so glad God chose me before I was born. Because I don't think he would have chosen me after I've lived. Some of you believe that you have been such a disappointment to God that he would have been better off to have not ever saved you in the first place. Well, the message from Ephesians chapter 1 is the exact opposite of that. 
The message of this book is that God accepted, accepted you into the body of Christ, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he loves you and is for you. You are part of his plan. As we've been saying from the beginning, he chose you to be a part of his family. And if he had to do it all over again, guess what? He would. He would. That's good news, isn't it? God's provision is not merely some lofty, unattainable idea, but it is a reality we can experience every single day of our lives. We can enjoy all of the heavenly blessings, all of the benefits, because God makes them available to us through His Son. The riches of His presence, God is with us. The riches of His peace, God is in us. The riches of His power, God is for us. Wow. Whether or not you think it's possible for you to become holy and blameless. You know what? I got good news for you. Whether you think it or not, God does. The Bible makes it clear that God thinks it is possible through His Son. Whether or not you believe in your potential, God believes in your potential because of His Son. You are part of His plan, and you have been from the beginning. So I just simply say, get on board with it and start living it, as Christ intends for us to do. Now, notice what we see next here. They are the spiritual blessings, not only from the Father, but Paul lets us know the blessings that come to us from his Son. Look at verse 7 and the first part of verse 8 with me. It says, in him, the in him is referring to the person referred to at the end of verse 6, the one he loved. Did you notice that one is capitalized? Who is it referring to? Jesus. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love that word, lavished on us. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. The blessings we crave are not stuff that we typically pray for. Folks, the blessings that we receive are because of the person that we walk with. Get a hold of that. Oh, Lord, we say, I I need some bread. And the one we walk with says, I am the bread. (laughs) Show me the way, we cry out. And the one we walk with says, I am the way. Tell me the truth, we pray. And the one we walk with says, I am the truth the way and the life, right? In John 14. We think we need help in one area or deliverance from something in another area. We think we need satisfaction in a career or a blessing in a relationship, little knowing that what our heart's desire truly is can only be, will only be fully and truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How do I know? Well, I believe God's word. I believe what 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us. For no matter how many promises God has made, check this out, church, they are yes 
in Christ. Here we come to another high point, another aha peak moment in this mountaintop place of spiritual truth. The magnificent doctrine of redemption. Amen. Jesus told us that he who commits sin is a slave to sin in John 8, 34. Therefore, he came onto the scene to purchase us, to buy us, to deliver us, to ransom us, to redeem us from the slave market of sin. And notice how this doctrine of redemption is tied, as we see here in Scripture, to our adoption, our spiritual adoption. As you know, there are no shortage of adults who have been so moved by the need of helpless orphans around the world that they have they've packed up their suitcases and flown to other nations seeking to adopt a, a hurting, needy child. A child that was not in their circle of influence. A child who could not care for themselves. A child who was drained of love. A child who had no hope whatsoever. And yet these adults who went to the destitute children in nations around the world wanted to make a difference and share their love with these children that did not even share the same language. These loving adults took the initiative and gave and they continue to give to these children that they have now in most cases, legally adopted and made their own, taken into their own family. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. We too were the victims of the ravages of the Cold War of sin. We too were children who were orphans with eternal needs. We too, because of sin, were beyond God's circle of influence. And yet he sent us his son to care for us. He sent us his son to care for us and to meet our needs and, and, and our need for cleansing and redemption. <laughs> Grace and mercy. We too were drained of love until we met the one who is all about love. And we too were orphaned children with no hope until we met the father, the God of all comfort and hope. God chose us not because of who we are, but actually in spite of who we are. Why are we chosen? Well, according to verse 6, we are chosen to be the praise of the glory of His grace. Do you understand what that means? We are chosen to showcase God's forgiveness and His mercy and His love, His compassion, grace that He has lavished on us, Paul tells us. There's a scene in the movie Forrest Gump, it's a moving scene in my opinion, where he and Jenny were taking a walk through the woods and they, they came to the house where she grew up. The house where she endured all kinds of abuse 
as a little girl. It's old and run down now, and it's pretty much falling apart. It's empty, except for the memories that are still there, the memories that have haunted her all of her life. Jenny and Forrest stop on the dirt road, and as she takes a few steps forward, she begins to relive some of those most terrifying moments from her childhood. And then in defiance of everything that the house stands for, she reaches to the ground and starts throwing rocks at the outside walls and the porch and the windows, screaming, how could you? How could you? And then she just breaks down in tears, falling to the ground. Forrest just quietly comes over and sits down besides her and says, as only Forrest would say, sometimes I guess there aren't enough rocks. And there never are, church. In this world, there never are. Which is what makes these verses so amazing and so wonderful. God's love, His forgiveness and grace will never, ever run out. Wow. They're inexhaustible. They will never be in short supply. Never, ever run out on you. He has and does lavish them on us. May the world see that in us so that they too could experience this amazing grace. Amen? May they see that in us. Father, we come before you this morning and we are so thankful and so grateful for your love that you have lavished on us. May we in turn respond to that love in a, in a positive kind of way and say, God, here I am. I am yours. And I want to love you back and I want to love others and I want to reflect you because of what you have come and done for me. Thank you for pouring on us all of the riches of God's blessings, spiritual blessings upon us through the Father and through the Son. And as we will see as we continue in this study by the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to take you seriously, to love you more and this world less, to reflect you, to display you, because the world needs to see you in us today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.